Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you adventure, books, and conversation, your ABCs from 11,000 feet here in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. I'm Christopher. I'm Stacy. And with us as usual is producer Doug. Hey Doug. Hi Doug. Good morning everyone. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, Good. it's an it's a beautiful September day here in the Eastern Sierra. And you know, Doug, for this episode, we had an adventure in your neck of the woods. Yeah, you you struggled up to the uh, north end of the county, huh? <laughs> it wasn't a struggle. It was it wasn't was a struggle. it wasn't a struggle. It was it was it was a beautiful morning. It was quite warm. Yeah, I say struggle because there's, there's, there's been so much uh, so much smoke around that. Uh, but but I guess you're probably getting down that, that down. I know that Christopher is down in Bishop, and that you likely are in Crowley as well. So yeah. we're we're all a little accustomed to a little struggle. Yeah, the, actually, the smoke was better today, and I I feel terrible because in our our a couple episodes ago, I I think I jinxed us by saying that we had. <laughs> We were having mostly a smoke-free summer, and then all of a sudden, we had like back-to-back fires in the county. And um, so, so I'm not. I, I'm knocking on the table right now to unjinx us, so, <laughs> so that we don't cause any more fires. Yes, um, but yeah, we went to the Mono Basin. Right. Which for our listeners, you may remember we had Jeff McCulkin of the Mono Lake Committee on a number of episodes before where he talked about Mono Lake and the basin in general and the work that the Mono Lake Committee does. But Stacy and I and Stacy, your husband, Joe, yep. our mm-hmm. resident geologist, yes, um, joined us on uh, a really nice, easy hike um, at the Panam Crater, which is on the south end of Mono Lake. Right. And when you get up to the rim of the crater, it's you can see beautiful views going all the way out to the backside of Mono Lake. And it, it was it was so pretty. And it wasn't too high. You know, it's where when you're up on the rim, you're at an elevation of just over 7000 feet. So it's not too high. Yeah, it's it's a really easy hike. You know, as we were talking before we started recording, many people stop at that beautiful overlook on the mm-hmm. Conway Summit on the north side of the Mono Basin to take that beautiful panoramic right. photo of of the lake and the area. And this provides an equally beautiful panorama mm-hmm. from the south end, right? Um, which I don't think a lot of people understand. They can go walk on that crater. You can see it from the highway. You mm-hmm. can drive drive right up to the base of it, right? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what we did. And we took off from there. So with the dog, with Lola, with Lola yeah. fast, fast becoming the O2 starved mascot on adventures. I know I need to get her like a special scarf or something. But, you know, for those of our listeners who are, again, unfamiliar with the area, Mono Lake and the Mono Basin is about, you know, as Doug says, it's in the northern portion of the county, um, just east of the entrance to Yosemite. And it's actually near, just south of Lundy Canyon, which we talked about in our last episode. Mm And the crater, you can drive to right off Highway 395. It's a great family hike. As we just mentioned, it's dog-friendly. It doesn't take too long. And um, you learn stuff yeah. while you're wandering around, right? Yep. And the kids can pick up pumice and obsidian because it's all around that area. And, um, Explore what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, gives them... Sometimes when you're hiking with little kids, you have to give them something tactile to do. <laughs> Pick up rocks. Yeah, picking up rocks is always a good a good thing. So <laughs> what, what we used to do with our kids. <laughs> <laughs> so Stace, do you want to you're you're the one married to the geologist. Do you want to give us the 10-second recap of what the crater actually is? Well, sure. So the the crater actually is the outside uh, ring. 
And then there's a dome in the middle and the ring on the outside is called the ejecta ring. And then the dome part is, is in the middle. And so when you walk around the crater, you walk around that ring. Um, this is the youngest eruption of the Mono craters. So this was the last uh, volcano to erupt in, in Mono County. And that happened around 1325 to 1365 um, AD. So, you know, it's not, wasn't yesterday, but in, in, geo- in geology terms, it was yesterday. Yeah, that's pretty recent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then just maybe just quickly to remind our listeners, there are a series of craters in Mono County. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Long Valley Caldera already when we talked about Mammoth Scenic Loop. This is craters going north of that, leading up to the Mono Basin, right? Right, exactly. And then the... Um, this crater is characterized by a particular type of lava. It's called rhyolitic lava, and that produces a particularly thick, glassy lava. And then that's where you get that all that obsidian comes from. Which I think obsidian is just one of the most beautiful stones mm-hmm. around. It's that glassy, dark, striated, and it's easily used by um, indigenous uh, uh, residents in the past to create, yeah. you know, arrowheads or other implements because you can chip away at it and, mm-hmm. and be very intentional with how you're going to use it. Right. Yeah. So they they used obsidian. Most, you know, you you will find arrowheads. Occasionally, yeah. like if you look really closely on any of these hikes where you see obsidian, you know, you keep a careful eye out because you can find arrowheads that were actually used um, and, scra- and scrapers and other tools, you know, implements. So it, that's kind of fun. It is fun. You know, when I was a kid, I think we were allowed to keep them. I'm not sure you're allowed to keep them anymore, but it does kind of make it a little bit more of adventure when you have young people along with mm-hmm. you. Right. The, the other thing I liked about this hike that we did, especially with Joe there to kind of explain what the different features were, was that you can gaze at the whole basin and kind of see areas where the old lake level was thousands, hundreds and thousands of years ago, where it was much, much higher, especially when you look over towards Nevada, you can kind of see the shelves of the old lake shore mm-hmm. on the mountains, which was, I thought was fascinating. Yeah. It, it, you could, Joe loves to point out where the terraces are and, you know, I think it's always cool where, when he'll say, Oh, well this, the water used to be up to here, yeah. you know, and it's like well above where you're even standing. <laughs> and it's hard to imagine that, you know, it was all covered in water at one point. Entirely. And, yeah. And it was, it was, it was neat having him along. I, I honestly, I wish I had recorded what, you know, we asked him if he wanted to come on the podcast and talk about it. He didn't, he said no. (laughs) Maybe he's too expensive for that. We couldn't afford that. I I don't think. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, listeners, the Panem crater, it's just South of Mono Lake easily get, get toable. <laughs> you drive off the highway and go on a dirt road right up to the base of the crater. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating little hike, especially if you, if you're with your family. So we encourage you to, to try it out someday. Check it out. Keep breathing. We'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, Books and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back, listeners. We have arrived at the books segment of our podcast. Yay! Yay! Love this part. Um, and this week we are talking about self-help books. And I guess I'm the one to blame. I don't guess. <laughs> I know I'm the one to blame because this was my idea. Because we hadn't talked about these kind, this genre of books before. And our guest in our last episode, Andrew Castor, was talking about a self-help book. And 
I love self-help books because you can you never have too much help. And you know what? At the end of this co- summer of COVID, which we are now coining the phrase, yes. many of us could probably use s- spending some time with a little self-help kind of meditative books. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't it doesn't hurt. And I've always loved these kinds of books, even if I don't necessarily apply the learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is, it's good, like background information to have. Right. Right. So, so, so what did you read? So I, I read a, a fairly new book, um, called superhuman and it's by Dave Asprey and he is the bulletproof guy. If any of our listeners are familiar with bulletproof, like bulletproof coffee, um, this is his latest book was published in 2019. And the subtitle is the bulletproof plan to age backward and maybe even live forever. <laughs> is, so, it, is it drinking lots of coffee? He, well, ca- caffeine is mentioned, but, um, <laughs> you know, he, this guy, Dave Osprey, I first became aware of him because I was back in Chicago And I visited the Museum of Science and Industry, listeners, Mm -hmm. best museum in the world. If you're ever in Chicago, go there. Um, I suck at that. Yeah, it's awesome. But there was an innovation exhibit, and he was one of the innovators because he talks about living until he's well over 100, like to 180 years of age. And he really thinks that humans have the capability to do this. If they do certain things. And so he is this this guy. He's in his late 40s. As a young person in his 20s, he was very unhealthy. He had been like had mold poisoning. And he he has turned his trials and tribulations that he experienced as a young, unhealthy, prematurely aged man he's turned it into a complete cottage industry. So, you know, he has his bulletproof coffee that he sells. He has his website. He has his podcast. He has all of his books. Um, As I mentioned, so his, his, um, his other book, his big other book is the bulletproof diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he's become this anti-aging guru. And this book, superhuman is divided into three sections don't die, age backward, and heal like a deity. Wow. And he gets very scientific. It's very well, you know, I mean, the the guy does his homework, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very well researched. And many of his um, suggestions or his tips for how to do these things and how to achieve this ageless life Um, are things that he does or businesses that he owns or products Mm -hmm. that he invests in, um, which I, I'm sorry, Dave Osprey, that was a little annoying to me. I, 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 I kind of, there were times in this book where I kind of felt like I was listening to an infomercial. Right. I was going to ask. Yeah. And so, and some of the things that he recommends are just beyond what is, um, doable for the normal person. Such as? Well, like in his age backwards section, he talks about if you are over 50, one of his tips, if you are over 50, you should get IV treatments. <laughs> like special IV treatments, you know, go to a doctor and, you know, what insurance company is going to cover that, right? Exactly. Um, he talks about um, improve for in the not dying section, he talks about the importance of sleep and mm. he recommends a sleep app, which when I went to look it up, doesn't exist any longer. And then uh, he also recommends this Quora ring, which is like $300 and yeah. you wear this ring and it detects. And of course, you know, I drink the Kool-Aid I'm reading this book. So I'm like, Hmm, Maybe I want one of those. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, $300 for a ring to know how I'm sleeping? I know when I get up in the morning if I've had a good night's sleep or not. So yeah. kind of like, you know, and like, and then in the another 
Another tip is uh, using an infrared sauna. Wow. So he has one in his house. Of course he does. Well, you know, so I'm sure Kim Kardashian does too, but you know, we're not <laughs> all, we're, we're not all able to do those kinds of things. So, so he's written this book is, is it sounds to me from the way you're describing it, Stace, that it's kind of aiming at a specific demographic. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm one of them that demographic. And I don't know that this was really what I was hoping it would tell me. Yeah. You know, I, I love reading about exercise and nutrition and those kinds of things and how those types of things impact your body and how, if you have good nutrition and you exercise accordingly, um, in the right way, that will help your longevity. And I thought that was going to be more like, I thought this was going to be more like that. Yeah. So quick question. Is there a mix in his approach of, of like use this product to, to, uh, you know, live to 180 and then other things like I was going to ask, you know, health, nutrition, Mm -hmm. psychological exercises, meditation, things that don't cost money. So, yeah, there are a few of those things. Uh, For example, he talks about, um, this is in the age backwards section, to stop eating sugar, soy, excess omega-6 fats, you know, which are corn oil, sunflower oils, you know, unhealthy, you know, like um, beef that's not organic, you know, those, those types of things are not what you're supposed to do for health, you know, that, you know, yeah, is it more expensive to buy organic produce and organic meats? Yeah, it is. But is it doable? Certainly more than getting IV injections, right? You know, yeah. It It also sounds like those are kind of general recommendations you hear or read about from many sources. Exactly. Yeah. It seemed like his, um, free, um, tips, the things that are free are pretty generic. Yeah. Um, but, and then I listened to his podcast one day and, and I had a complete anxiety attack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do tell. Well, it was, he was interviewing this doctor Um, and she, they were talking about, um, the certain kinds of proteins to eat and when to eat and you, and all the, all of, it was like they, and then they started like arguing about (laughs) it, 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 it made me so crazy. And it's, it actually, I, when I shut off the podcast to get out of the car to go where I was going, my heart was like racing because I was, um, it, you know, it's like, who do you listen to? You know, they're here, here are two supposed experts and they're disagreeing over a protocol about protein. (laughs) It was, and all the supplements. (laughs) So what's funny and, you know, Stacey, you and I are not experts at podcasting by any stretch of the, the measure, but it seems to me rule 101 of podcasting is not to give your listeners anxiety attacks. I, I would think so. And, and maybe it was just me, you know, my reaction to, to this conversation, but you know, were there things that, that, uh, help, you know, that resonated with me a little bit in reading this book? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the importance of sleep, right. Breathing, you know, making sure that you're breathing, um, in a certain way, you know, medit. he does talk about meditation, um, you know, things like that, that, that helped that, yeah, that, that struck a chord that resonated with me. So am I glad I read the book? Yeah, absolutely. Am I going to implement, you know, half of the things that he suggests? No way. So if I ever win the lottery, maybe. (laughs) This is where you would spend your money? Yeah, sure. Is, Is it, where is he on the Gwyneth Paltrow goop scale? Like how much mm. of it 
do you think is really aimed towards that demographic or, you know, people who are more traditional? I would say this is the majority. Yeah, this really is aimed at that goop group. (laughs) I didn't mean to. (laughs) Yeah, there. That's a very similar audience right there. But there are some takeaways from it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, anytime I think you read a, a, a book like of this genre, you should walk away from with one thing. I mean, otherwise, how did the book even get published? Right. So um, sometimes you just have to dig a little bit harder to find what is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, it was you know, listeners, if if any of you have read Superhuman, um, would love to know what you think about it. Um, and if you are biohacking your life the way <laughs> Dave, that's what he calls it. Biohacking? Biohacking, which is a term I love. I would love to, to biohack my life, but I don't have the funds. I'm not of that ilk. <laughs> Sounds very $6 million man to me. Kind of, yeah. Um, to put it, to give away my age. <laughs> How about you? What did you read, Christopher? Well, I read something that was not biohacking. Um you know, Stace, in your comment, you know, how did it get published really is something that resonates with libraries and booksellers, right? Mm-hmm. Self-help is a very broad genre. And it seems like every week there's a new approach to some self-help issue with new techniques or new products or new ideas. And sometimes a lot of it's just rehashing others. But right. what it speaks to is like, it's, it's like many other genres of literature is that different things resonate with different readers. So when I'm looking for something that I want to reflect on, I tend not to go directly to the self-help genre itself. I look for something a little bit more subtle. And I think I've mentioned this mm. before. I really like hearing people's or reading people's life stories or life yeah. experiences, especially when it's purposeful in a kind of self-help or meditative way. So I've spoken about um, these kind of pilgrimage books in the past. You know, there's Northland by the outside writer Porter Fox, who he traveled from the uh, along the border of the U.S. and Canada from Maine to Washington State, right? Right. And that's kind of this long adventure where he learns a lot about nature and the nature of borders and human interaction along the way although mostly it's about the nature part, which is was great. Last year, I talked about Timothy Egan's uh, Pilgrimage to Eternity, which was a book that came out last year about recreating an old medieval pilgrimage from England to Rome and how he was using that as an exercise to understand where his faith was at that mm-hmm. part of his life. Right. And so the book that I chose this time is Jedediah Jenkins' To Shake the Sleeping Self. The subtitle is A Journey from Oregon to Patagonia and a Quest for a Life with No Regret. So this book, um, To Shake the Sleeping Self, is one that's made the rounds locally. A lot of people in Mono and Inyo counties have been reading this book recently um, for good reason, not just because it's pretty well written. He's well known now because of his journey but it also, you know, is, it's a, an adventure book. It's about cycling from Oregon to Patagonia over an 18-month period. And there's a lot of beautiful outdoors kind of stuff along the way, of course. And so that resonates a lot with people here. And in fact, this was the Mono County Library's online book club pick for August and early September. And so, you know, a lot of people want to engage, engage with this. Jedediah himself is the son of a couple who famously walked across America in the late 1970s, and they documented their trip in National Geographic and a wildly successful book for the time, Walk Across America, which I remember coming out when I was a kid. And, you know, he embarks on this journey. He kind of makes this decision that he's going to (laughs) bicycle from Oregon to Patagonia on a whim almost. And how old is he? he? When he makes the decision, he's approaching 30. Okay. And so that's like a touchstone year for him. He's like, do it now or do it never. And, you know, what can I learn from myself? Because he sees that as a pivotal year of of understanding where he is as an adult Mm -hmm. and how much more he needs to mature. And so um, 
you know, he kind of decides on, it's, I shouldn't say it's on a whim. He obviously gave it thought and he prepares quite a bit for this trip. He's never done it in the past. He's not a cyclist. He doesn't even know wow. what kind of bike to buy. So he goes, he describes the process of acquiring the equipment, getting insights and advice from people. He doesn't even train right. <laughs> before he leaves. And I was like, oh, this poor guy, he's going to die after the first week. because He's not you know, been training up for it. Um, he sounds a little bit like our, the character in into the wild. He does. Right. Yeah. I think that, and you know, Cheryl Strayed <laughs> gives the blurb for the cover of this book. And, you know, Cheryl, you, right. you talked about her wild, mm-hmm. wild, you know, going along the, 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 the trail. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he does kind of have this kind of adventuresome gene in him and he, you know, wants to embark on it. I should mention before I get into this book, he does have a new book coming out in February that is more explicitly self-help. It's called like streams to the ocean notes on ego love and the things that make us who we are. So it sounds like he's picking up where to shake the sleeping self was kind of a description of a journey. And now he's, he's ruminating on it and coming out with another book, but let me get back to the book and just read you a little bit of the publisher blurb so we can put context to it on the edge of turning 30 terrified of being funneled into a life. He didn't choose Jedediah Jenkins quit his dream job and spent the next 16 months cycling from Oregon to Patagonia. He chronicled the trip on Instagram where his photos and profound reflections on life soon attracted hundreds of thousands of followers and got him featured by National Geographic and the Paris Review. In this unflinchingly honest memoir, Jenkins narrates his adventure, the people and places he encountered on his way to the bottom of the world, as well as the internal journey that started it all. As he traverses cities, mountains, and exotic locales, Jenkins grapples with the question of what it means to be an adult and with his struggle to reconcile his sexual identity with his conservative Christian upbringing. He examines ideas, or the ideas that are gripping modern conversation around the world. Can conservative and liberal family members get along? Hmm. Wow, that's really timely. Yeah. Can travel wake us up to a life back home? And can we be smart about our futures, yet risk it all on a dream? So this is kind of his, his, his point of departure, for this adventure. It reads like a really traditional adventure book. Uh You know, there's, he has a partner cyclist named Weston who kind of inserts himself into the trip without (laughs) real approval. Um, you know, he's kind of like, Oh, I want to go with you. And he doesn't really know how to turn him down or did he wants Mm -hmm. to, but Weston is kind of a more free for all kind of guy. He's very last minute on everything and is (laughs) chronically unprepared, but is chronically lucky in all of his experiences. And so, um, he, he kind of is the sidekick okay. to, you know, he's the, the, who is it? Sancho or Pancho to Don Quixote is like, okay. you know, <laughs> they're, they're cycling together, mm-hmm. you know, Jenkins on his brand new purpose built, um, cycling bike and, and Weston on his, the used bicycle that he bought the weekend before they were leaving oh, wow. to go to Oregon to Patagonia. And that kind of, you know, hijinks ensue. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, meeting really terrific people from Oregon all the way down through South America, the people who will put them up at night and show them their towns and their villages and a lot of really um, beautiful interactions. And, you know, he describes the beauty of, of nature along the way. And he also describes certain points like Baja, California, where mm-hmm. if you've been there, you know, it's right. the highway at one point becomes a long straight road two lane, mm-hmm. no scenery. It's just desert. And, um, you can get really meditative cycling that day in and day out. And he really does. And he does, uh, you know, ruminate on his upbringing and what it means to be approaching age 30 and still unsure of his identity. And, you know, what is his faith to him? Because he does have faith. And, um, you know, how all this transpires and turns in, into who he is. And along the way, he's got this foil and his, his cycling partner, Weston, who's, you know, every time they stop, Weston goes and finds a party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so he does kind of, you know, Jedediah through this whole process, he, he makes it to Patagonia. Um, he does kind of arrive at a kind of self-reflective conclusion that, you know, he, he is a little more mature and, 
Um, he does feel he can have a relationship with his mother who's very conservative mm-hmm. and very religious. Um, they don't always agree on everything. And, and the stuff that they don't agree on is often quite personal as it happens in families. But at the end, they hike a mountain together and it's really wow. beautiful mother and son moment. Um, so is this, would you say this is almost part travel log too? Or I mean, could it, it be classified in that genre also? Yeah. And I think most places probably would. It just has this kind of dual element, mm-hmm. you know, it's travel log, but it's also who am I as I'm experiencing right. all these difficult experiences, sleeping by the side of the road, um, you know, through all kinds of weather and all kinds of altitudes, that sort of thing. Um, and I think a lot of people will read this and it will resonate with them. You know, I, I read this and it kind of confirmed my outlook on life, which Mm -hmm. is you're never too old for an adventure and you don't have to wait until you're retired to do something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and that goes beyond travel, you know, in my life. And since Wills and I are together, even, you know, our kind of outlook on life and part of the reason we came back to the Eastern Sierra is, you know, there are places that you travel to, but if you want to go visit it over and over and over again, why not just move there? Mm -hmm. Um, It's really an immersive adventure and a life growing adventure. And he kind of talks a little bit about that here. There are scary bits. He comes across drug cartels and, and all that kind of stuff that you would expect. So there's, there's adventure here. Um, but it does also just make you reflect on your own life's journey in a way, which is what I look for in a self help book. It it reminds me a little bit of the mutant message down under that's an old book but it it's a it's about this woman who goes on a walkabout with a tribe of aborigines and Mm -hmm. what she you know her sense of self-discovery and as she does this and um it's it's one of my favorite books of all time um but it sounds very similar you know it's kind of that they're going, they're kind of getting catharsis as they go on their journey. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a very common thread through a lot of these stories, right? Mm-hmm. You go on a journey to purposely pull yourself out of the environment you feel you're getting quote unquote stuck yeah. in. Um, and that journey gives you the agency in this space to reconsider. And then, and in this case where he's 18 months on a bicycle, it forces him to reconsider because he doesn't have anything else to think about. Right. <laughs> Long yeah. stretches of cycling. Right. And, you know, many of us have done that. You know, I've talked about how I grew up in Bishop, but I moved very far away from home as a young person. So I could kind of rediscover myself and see myself in a different context. And I know mm-hmm. my story is not unique. Many people right. do that. Yeah. I did so, it too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You did it too. Yeah. So, so tell the tell us the name of the book and the author again one more time. Yep. It's called To Shake the Sleeping Self by Jedediah Jenkins. It came out just at the end of 2019. We have copies in the library, but you can find it all over. Um, I would recommend this. And you can also follow him on Instagram. I mean, this whole trip was Instagrammed, and that's kind of how he got discovered in the first place. So, um, yeah, I think it's worth time, and it's a quick and easy read. So, Great. Well, listeners, yeah, thank you. Listeners, check, check it out. And if you have any self-help books that you have read that you think we should check out, let us know. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism. Welcome back, listeners. We've arrived at the C conversation part of our podcast, and we're so honored today to have with us as our guest, Mark Brownlee, the president and chief operating officer of Mammoth Resorts. Welcome, Mark. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It was great to be with you guys today. Well, we're so happy you could make time to join us. It's we've tried hard to get you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a wee bit shy, Stacey. You know that. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, it did take a lot to convince you that it would be okay to come on with us. (laughs) So, Mark, tell our listeners about how you got from. Scotland to Mono County. 
Oh, <laughs> you're just trying to age me. I'm thinking about how long ago it was. Um, I'm coming up on my 50th birthday next month, and I've been in Mammoth for the longest that I've ever been in one place, including Scotland. So I, um, I grew up in Scotland on a sheep and cattle farm or ranch, as people may say, and, uh, and definitely uh, worked hard because that was our, our family uh, ethics and the way we behaved and mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of time for, for uh, fun things uh, apart from shearing sheep, but apparently my, my granddad thought that was fun. And uh, we, uh, but I was very fortunate enough to have a, a ski area or a ski hill as we may call it, because Scotland's uh, mountains are very rounded because they're some of the oldest in the world. And we had a local ski area. There's five ski areas in Scotland. They're mm-hmm. um, very rugged, uh, very windy like Mammoth, but uh, very subarctic because Scotland's so far north <laughs> towards uh, Norway. And, so, and not a lot of elevation, so rainy conditions. And you had to be really committed to want to go skiing. And I was fortunate that the local school had some... Uh, some uh, school PE programs and I learned to ski. And then as I got a wee bit older, you know, my family uh, always thought that they were very tight with their money. They thought money was flat for stacking it. And uh, (laughs) I never got a paycheck. So as I got a a wee bit older to make some extra cash, I worked for the local um, ski school and taught skiing. And at one point during that uh, teaching of skiing at the local ski area, when I was 15, I believe, I met uh, an individual called Finley Torrance, who some of you may know. Yes. And Finley Torrance and I, and Finley's way older than me, just let me put that <laughs> <in>. <laughs> <laughs> But Finley and I uh, became firm friends the first time we met each other based on a ski movie you may have heard of called The Blizzard of Oz. And we... Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners know that movie with Glenn Plague, mm-hmm. Mike Hattrop, and uh, Scott Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Finley and I were actually waiting to teach a ski lesson one day when it was just pouring rain and nuking wind, and we didn't know each other. <laughs> and he goes, the lessons all got canceled, which was probably the right thing to do. And uh, yeah, there was like small children flying past you in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> dogs up in the air on ends of leashes and all the good (laughs) Scottish wind stories. But Finley Finley said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go ski uh, moguls, of course, in the rain because that's (laughs) what I do. And he's like, yeah, me too. Have you ever seen that film, The Blizzard of Ass? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can recite that movie start to finish. And off we went. We became firm friends. And then in and around um, 1991, I was, it was summer, I was on the farm, and I got a postcard from Finley who said, I'm in New Zealand, you should come. I just skied with Glenn Plake, and it was cool. <laughs> and uh, I was like, here I am, like feeding cows and sheep and planting turnips, and my best friend is ripping around with Plake, and uh, I was kind of jealous, so I put, a pl- <laughs> put a plan into place, and um, the following year, I said to my granddad, um, I'd like to go to New Zealand in order to learn how to shear sheep better. And he, <laughs> and he said, why on earth are you taking your skis with you? And so off I went, met up with Finley and started, uh, went to New Zealand. And that was the start of Finley and I sharing a lot of experiences around, in and around skiing. And eventually he moved to Mammoth in right. 1996. And I came over to check Mammoth out just uh, for a week. And I met a lot of characters, including uh, Dave McCoy, John Armstrong, and, and many others. And the following year, I passed through again on my way to New Zealand in June of 97. And they were still skiing on chair three. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get a... a and we don't do this anymore, so no one should ask. I was trying to get a free <laughs> lift ticket. And, uh, <laughs> obviously teasing. Right. Um, but I, uh, and John Armstrong was here, who was running the race department. And he's like, because I'll give you a lift ticket if you, um, if you think about coming back and working on our race department next winter. 
And I called up my granddad and my great uncle and I said, you know, I think I'm going to give this mammoth place a try. And they were like, okay, are you still coming back to do any work work eventually? And they're super supportive. I was very fortunate. That's great. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll be back in April 1998 to uh, help. And I spent the winter in 97 here. And that's why I came. But why I remained and why I really wanted to stay was that winter we had a World Cup from the top of Corners Bowl down uh, past Terry's mm-hmm. and then down Fascination. It was a women's yep. Super G. And that um, race was very um, weather <laughs> impacted. <It's, laughs> and it was an El, El Nino year. And, mm. you know, th- this is prior to digital media. So we right. had like fifty or 60,000 feet of television cables strewn oh. out from top to bottom of the mountain. <laughs> it snowed wow. seven feet overnight. And <laughs> I came to work and I was like, there is no way on earth this is happening. And I think I might have said that to Clifford Mann. And Clifford Mann set my, uh, my mammoth um, ph- philosophy right. And <laughs> it's very unmammoth to consider no before you've exhausted right. how, how to say yes. Yep. <laughs> and yet we had a ski race and I was like, this is my kind of place with people that like to say yes and are uh, super passionate about being in the outdoors and uh, really embracing the, the environment that we know and love. So long-winded wow. way to get to the end, but it was a few years, so I think I did a good job of condensing great, it. Great story. <laughs> great story. And you, you, did, you coached the ski team. You were very instrumental in developing the ski program here. Yeah, I was, I was, I was very fortunate to, uh, to start in our race department and then progress to coaching our FIS racers mm-hmm. uh, seasonally um, up until 2001. And I was very fortunate that you know, during that period of time till then, I met a guy you may have heard of called Dave McCoy, Yes. And, <laughs> and, you know, Dave obviously loves skiing and had you know, really invested in ski racing over the years. And Dave um, was very instrumental in, in my coaching philosophy. Mm-hmm. And in and around 2001, like every year I was going back to the farm uh, from 97 to 2001. Oh, and I'd, go, wow. I'd go and knock on uh, on people like Pam Murphy's door. I was like, give me a year round job here. I've got these great (laughs) ideas. And they're like, yeah, your time will come maybe, but try harder. And then in and around 2002, I became the head coach of the Mammoth Ski Team and got to work with a lot of our uh, present community members and uh, a lot of kids in the community and very proud of that, that part of uh, the company and the impact that it has on the local um, region from sorry no absolutely i just wanted to riff on that a little bit can you talk a little bit about why it's so meaningful for a mountain like mammoth or any ski area including the one you grew up next to in scotland to invest in these youth ski programs you know working with the local schools and getting young kids on the mountain and learn to ski how did how do you see kids developing and what does that lead to for them you know um when i first started um, being a ski coach, I, I was very, I still am very competitive, but I was so competitive that I, I, uh, I wanted to win, maybe not at all costs, but, <laughs> but, but I pretty, I pretty much uh, really wanted to do battle with school and sugar bowl and like shove it mm-hmm. into them pretty hard. And, you know, I was very into the winning part of it. And it took me, not very long, actually, and this was sitting on the back steps of uh, Main Lodge with Dave McCoy, and I was always asking Dave, you know, how you put a gondola to the top of the mountain, and how you mm-hmm. build right. chairlifts yeah. and operate right. a ski area. And Dave would never engage with me on that. He'd always go, "What's the most important thing about um, ski racing?" And I would start off going, "Winning," and then, <laughs> and then after a couple of chats to to on the on the back stairs i really got my uh, coaching philosophy of 
you know, to become the best version of yourself, you have mm-hmm. to uh, invest in others being the best versions of themselves. Mm. And that's not necessarily um, winning a ski race uh, or being on the top step of the podium. It's really um, getting the best out of others. And I really believe that in our mountain communities, uh, the, the collaboration and the engagement between the, the local schools and the local region and, and allowing access into such a unique environment that gives so many life lessons to our kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the, the, the most fun and most rewarding moments of, of seeing our program is our mini shredders and our mighty mites being able to put their ski boots on by <laughs> yep. themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And going yeah. Yep. And knowing their way around the mountain and mm-hmm. actually owning the mountain. And what, what they, um, what they really get in is they're forming their own set of values. And those values are em- enjoying and embracing and supporting the environment eventually yep. and really understanding what it is to, invest in themselves and put it back into their communities. So I think it's, you know, it's great to have ski race and snowboard programs that produce uh, Olympians. It's very motivational for everyone, but the real core of our teams is our connection with our community and for our, our kids in our community to become the best versions of themselves. Well, the ski program definitely, I mean, having had two kids go through the program, both ski PE and the mountain ski program, um, I can say that, you know, it's definitely successful in that, in that regard. So it's a, it's just a phenomenal program. And we're so lucky to have that relationship for this, between the schools and the mountain. So thank you for that. No, thanks for saying that, Stacey. Well, <laughs> <laughs> And oh, I, I, mean, I, I, I was almost tearing up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very sensitive to uh, the kids enjoying the place. So it, it's really rewarding to see it happen on a daily it, basis. It, it is. It's, it's super fun. And you're right. The kids learning to put on the ski boots by themselves, the biggest thing ever. <laughs> it is huge. You get an extra run yourself. Right? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So now your your responsibilities are a little bit different. So what? How do you like the new position that you have now? I I love my position. I'm very um, humbled and and uh, feel a great sense of of honor to have it. I know that I'm inheriting the culture that Dave put in place mm-hmm. at the moment. Yep, and. That, you know, that obviously was continued by Rusty Gregory and now myself. And it's such a rewarding position to be in, to see people in our, in our company um, grow and blossom and have the opportunities that I had starting as a ski coach from mm-hmm. a ski uh, sheep farm in Scotland. Hmm. Ru- Rusty <laughs> is a lift operator and a lift right. maintenance worker. And... Um, in fact, yesterday, you know, I was sitting meeting with one of our lift maintenance workers and they were giving me their ideas. And I said, you know, uh, it's possible you could run this place one day if you really wanted to. Right. And yeah. that's the most rewarding part of Mammoth is that, you know, we see everyone on the same level. You know, there's definitely uh, responsibilities for decision making. Right. But we have that culture that we, uh, invest in each other and that's and a super rewarding part of my job is now that I get to see every single part of our company you know I'm, I'm definitely detached at times and and uh, it's much much more thrilling to be in operations rather than mm-hmm. being uh, on the fourth floor sometimes but just to, <laughs> just to see the whole company and what it um all the cross functionality and people working as a team is super rewarding that's great. And so we would be remiss if we didn't ask, and I don't know how much you could say about this, but, you know, given the situation that we're in with the coronavirus and all of that, do you have, you know, can you say anything about operations and what might happen for this ski season coming up? 
Well, as we're speaking right now, I believe the Russians have a vaccine that, that maybe, works, <laughs> maybe, maybe works for Russia and possibly America. But, um, you know, I, I think to answer your question, Stacey, we're, um, we're embracing the vague at, Man- at Mammoth Mountain. And we always do, right? We recognize that we only uh, rent the place from Mother Nature and mm-hmm. she's the boss. Right. And yep. this, is, this is another instance of knowing that Mother Nature is the boss. And it's not 180 miles right. an hour and trying to do avalanche control off the top of the mountain. It's a completely different set of vague st- circumstances that right. we don't know really what they eventually are going to be. But to answer your question, you know, we are planning. We're open for summer operations right now. Right. We, we're planning on continuing to be open through the, the lenses of safety mm-hmm. of all of our right. people, right? Our community. Mm-hmm. We consider yep. the community our people, our guests our community, our right. people, and obviously our employees our people, and safety comes first. Yeah. The next lens we look through is empathy. And, you know, we really have to put ourselves in other people's shoes more and more these days so we know what they're having to live with. And having empathy for the community means trying to open safely and, right. and remaining open if it is safe, obviously. So having said that, we're planning on being open this winter. Uh, we sent out a, a note to all of our pass holders last week saying we're planning on being open. We appreciate them coming to our community mm-hmm. where we all live, work, and play and adhering to the safety protocols of wearing a mask uh, at all times. And we really think um, utilizing masks going forward is mm-hmm. one way that we can safely open and remain open. Right. So we are um, working through all of the different <laughs> iterations of that, but we do know that we're in the business of being open. Right. And we do know that we we figured out how to have a mountain here, and <laughs> we, we will figure out how to be open, but through those uh, two pers- lenses or perspectives, however you want to look at it, of safety and empathy. Well, we we all appreciate looking through those lenses, and I I think I'm going to borrow that phrase, embracing the vagueness. I I love that. That's I did, you know, it's such a roller coaster right now, and we all feel it, right? We, yes. Uh, we um, have this vagueness, what's tomorrow going to look like, what's next week going to look like, and you know, we've got to adapt as we go, and you know, one of the, we all have these little voices that ask constant questions of mm-hmm. what the outcome looks like, but we, it's, um, it's really Mother Nature or the world is dictating to us where we're going, and we'll adapt our decision-making as we go there. It may take two steps left and three back and <laughs> do a wee pirouette or whatever. And as leaders, we're very used to um, going from point A to point B in the right. most direct fashion. And right now that could cause you to go slightly crazy. Yeah. Um, so embracing the vagueness is something that we're doing at Mammoth on a daily, weekly basis. But we also know that COVID will pass mm-hmm. and we need right. to be ready to come out of the gate charging and crushing it with uh, yeah. our, our full motivation. You know, it's interesting, Mark, the way you describe that. I wonder if if you and your team are in a way really well situated or, or, or you know, attuned to being able to adapt to that vagueness. Because, you know, ski resorts, you have a heavy winter, you have a light winter, you have a sudden storm, you know, even with all the technology today, you guys must be attuned to being able to adapt on a daily basis, just in a normal season. Do you think your, your team brings it that kind of mentality or? Yeah, 100%. We have a a bomber team here as I like to describe them. (laughs) And, And as we've gone through COVID, it's, been so impressive to see what you just uh, touched on there you know their adaptability their willingness to look at the world from a different perspective and not through the the same angle you know the world stays the same it's just how you change your angle of looking at it right and i think that is a lot of um mother nature um, drought years 
global financial meltdown in, in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. and right. adapting to that. But it's also like what Dave did here in carving the mountain out of the, the eastern Sierra was totally vague as well. And he, uh, it, you know, Dave always had a saying, if you don't start, you'll never finish. And I think that, you know, we're always willing to start with the current situational analysis and embrace that vagueness as we're trying to make. So it's very true. Um, <laughs> Dave had Dave McCoy who founded Mammoth Mountain really had a lasting impression on this, this area. Mm-hmm. Mark, we've talked a lot about your day job and, and some of your passion. What do you do when you're not on the mountain? What, what gets you out of the house? You know, um, for since 1997, up until very recently, I, uh, people would tell you that that's really all I ever did because uh, <laughs> that's all I loved. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, in summer and winter, I'd, I participate in lots of, um, of the activities. I like to, you know, when I'm, you know, we, but, um, flipping, I like, I'm only here for the skiing because that's what brought me here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do love to ski and, uh, and that's my passion for sure. Uh, recently though, you know, I always equated, you know, the job success at my job. And by success, I don't mean like job title or having a nice office or whatever it is. You know, I really do believe in, in the team and invest in Mm -hmm. each other. And, you know, that really makes me happy, but I've been trying to say success doesn't equal happiness, but happiness definitely equals success. And I've been trying to enjoy a few other different experiences and, you know, um, definitely reading, uh, is making time for that. Uh, as we were joking around at the start of this, uh, podcast, you know, we're, uh, (laughs) You're, right. You guys were impressed that a sheep farmer could actually read. But, uh, <laughs> really, just carving out some specific time to invest in that, you know, part of your pleasure. Um, I always loved hiking. That's definitely a, yeah. a passion of mine. And where we live, it's so easy to have amazing experiences. And then uh, mountain biking is definitely a passion of mine. Though I, I haven't this year really carved out enough time to do that unfortunately so far so that's me giving myself a little kick in the butt to figure that out. <laughs> so thank you very much for the motivation and listeners no offense to sheep farmers i passed a sheep farmer on the drive-in this morning so you know i'm sure there are plenty of sheep farmers out there who are really heavy readers i said scottish so you and i are both safe there we go thank you yeah, well, and and now Mark knows that there are sheep that can be shorn, you know, just a little bit out of town if, you know, if you ever need to get a fix. <laughs> you know, occasionally I chat with uh, Ted Carlton, who's yes. a cheat, and he's got a, a good-sized goat herd. Yep. And he invites me down to see his goats, and I've never once gone, and there's a good reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> I left the sheep behind in Scotland. <laughs> Flashbacks, you don't need that. <laughs> so you mentioned that you are an avid reader, and that's you know, part of our, our podcast and something mm-hmm. that we always ask our guests. Can you share with our listeners what what you're reading now, what your favorite book is? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I had a, a theme going for a, a number of years that I really read a lot of business books. And uh, you, know, you can learn a lot out of business books and mm-hmm. you can apply it and definitely educate yourself. More recently, I've been re- trying to broaden my, uh, my reading perspectives. And um, I read a, the most recent book I read is um, a book called Un- The Untethered Soul or Untethered Soul. Um, I forget the person's name, Singer, uh, Michael Singer. And the book's basically um, a business individual who was very much into 
yoga. I can barely touch my toes, you know. <laughs> I, I, I have this philosophy, and if Tim Tim Tollefson's listening, he'll definitely not be happy with me. But I like to keep my body very tight. So if I crash, <laughs> if I crash skiing, my stuff doesn't get all floppy and stuff happens. So I want to be as tight as possible. But right, this uh, untethered soul is very much um, uh, a book that ties business and some sort of spiritual awareness together. Mm. And it talks a lot about um, how you have constant uh, voices in your head mm-hmm. trying to analyze the world and really how you um, get away from that and actually step back from that clutter and be able to um, see the opportunities and just under- understand what's really coming at you and what you need to make decisions on rather than cluttering up your your mind with a lot of other stuff that may not be that important. And uh, I think that's very, yeah. uh, this, this wasn't in the book, but I think it's very important as you progress in life to really figure out not judging others or, you know, really having other people judge yourself and get your, your ego involved in that and really just try to do good. And okay. I think that's super important. That book was, uh, I enjoyed that book. There were some parts that I would recommend flipping through rapidly, but generally <laughs> it was good. And then I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be really on point here and, uh, with my favorite book. And it, it really is. I'm not just, um, saying it cause Peter Morning uh, helped to set up this podcast and okay. is a really good friend of mine. Uh, Tracks of Passion is my favorite book. <laughs> I love Robin Morning. And that book is, is really something that never gets old to me uh, or for me. And it really um, can ground me in times where, you know, you, you're maybe getting a bit too business focused mm-hmm. or you're, you have, you know, maybe you're, you're not thinking about why you're here and what mammoth really means to all of us and what it means to all of our people. I so, love that book. Yeah, it's a great book. And many of our local listeners will be familiar with it. But for our listeners who are outside of the area, Mark, can you describe it a little bit? It's uh, really a history of mammoth uh, written by um, Robin Morning, who actually was a ski racer that was coached by uh, uh, Dave uh, McCoy. And she um, really has put a, put together the history of mammoth in a, a very beautiful way. And it's got a lot of great uh, historical photos and, yeah. and lots of excerpts about the unique individuals that went into not just mammoth, but our overall community. And it's very inspirational. It is. It's a, I, I recommend that a lot. And it gets heavy use at the library um, for all the obvious reasons. Um, and, I and, know, and most importantly, I had Robin update the second edition to give me a photo credit for the, <laughs> last, the, the last photo of Clifford Mann standing on top of the super sign back in 2004 or five. I <laughs> well, you've got to get the credit you deserve. It's very important. I, was like, I said to Robin, I was like, how on earth could Clifford get um, credit for taking his own photo here? It's not even selfies weren't even around then. <laughs> Well, and, and I, I spoke to Robin a couple of weeks ago. I know she's got a new book coming out as well. Yeah. So um, that's a great book. I'm, I'm reading that at present. I haven't oh, got far into it. So are you are you the type of boss, Mark, that gives your employees books to read, or you know? Yeah, yeah we for a long period of time now, that's been something that we've done, Stacy. Mm-hmm. And um, we, you know, we actually. Um, one of the books that's really in the culture of Altera now, but um, in Mammoth that we read many years ago was um, a General Stanley McChrystal's book, uh, Team of Teams. And we took that approach, we take that approach to a lot of the ways that we do business so that we um, don't just have one boss and we uh, formulate really uh, rapid and, and fluid teams to address certain instances. And we actually have that for uh, COVID at an Altera level. We oh, have a team of teams approach to how we're actually uh, doing our business unit planning. And what we've done with that is take individuals like Casey McCoy, Eric Clark, and Craig Albright from Mammoth mm-hmm. and put them with, put them with 
individuals from Crystal Mountain, Stratton Mountain, and really uh, shared common and best practices and um, really put a thought ta- uh, think tank together to try and figure out some of the stuff that we have to deal with. So, yeah, we, uh, we have a library right outside uh, my office, which uh, gets utilized a wee bit, but has a lot of people's uh, books that have been given to them in the past. That's great. I, I'm a firm believer in using books to help develop team approaches and team practices. And I think that's great that you guys are using that as well. And um, we just appreciate everything that you're doing, Mark, for our community, for the mountain, for our town and and all of the people that come and enjoy um, skiing and mountain biking and everything that the mountain offers. So thank you for all your hard work. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, Let's just be really sure that that's not a one person role and the amount of energy that goes in from our entire community, let alone the people at Mammoth to create the environment where we live, work and play is absolutely phenomenal. Well, part of that team. So thanks Stacey. uh, Absolutely. And thanks, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, (laughs) Now maybe you'll want to come back more. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm available anytime. Uh, you, 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 uh, be careful what you wish for. So. <laughs> My granny used to say that I could, I, I have no idea what this means, but you'll get the gist of it no matter what. My granny used to say, wow, you can talk the hind legs off a donkey, whatever that means. So. <laughs> it sounds like a saying that a Scottish granny would yes. say. It does. I need to research it. I mean, <laughs> Please don't put that in the podcast. It could be offensive. (laughs) Well, thank you, Mark. And um, thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. You can find more details, including all the links to the books that we just talked about on our show page. You can follow us at on our Instagram account, o2starved.com, or listen to us at our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com, in addition to all the regular podcast platforms where you can subscribe, rate, tell your friends, give us feedback. Until then, stay safe, take some time outside, get some fresh air, and just relax and appreciate the summer for what we can get out of it. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.